It is the 6th of December, 2014, and this is East Meets West. (laughs) Do you want to say the name just a couple times, just so people, just so, I mean, not people, just so you can get the hang of it? East Meets West. It's not that hard to say. No, no, this is, it is such a foreign concept because, uh, I mean, I, I forget who said it, but uh, the famous quote I was thinking of with this was, East is East and West is West and never the twain shall meet. Okay. But you don't know where that's from? I, 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 Google would know easily. Yeah. But uh, so I think the fact that I fumbled over the words is uh, it's indicative of the attitude I was shooting for with, with that quotation. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. (laughs) In fact, it's, I mean, dad's a literary fellow. And so, uh, when I told him what we wanted to do, he ended up saying, Oh, you should call that the twain. Interesting. Cause it's never the twain shall meet. Yeah. It, uh, it makes me feel like it might've been Mark Twain that said it, but maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) I can't assume it would be. You know what? Well, well, Just I'm going to I'm going to pound that in right now. All I'm saying is uh that's a very 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 obscure reference for a title if you if that weren't the case. The Ballad of East and West by Is this text savvy failing you? <laughs> Rudyard Kipling. Ooh, not bad. All right. Not Mark Twain. Not quite. No. So, (laughs) on to the show. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to quote one of my favorite podcasts and ask, is this the show? (laughs) Why not? Why not, Rob? (laughs) So, do you want to introduce the concept of the show and maybe try to keep your words together better than you did during the title? No. No. Um, but I will try and introduce the show. All right. So this is not my first time living in Calgary. I lived here in the summer of 2013. And when I moved to London to go to school, I was talking to you, Rob. And I said, Hey Rob. And you said, Hey Nick. I said, You know, I grew up in eastern Ontario, went to school in eastern Ontario, and then moved out west to Calgary. You were born and raised in Calgary and moved to eastern Ontario. And wouldn't it be funny if we did a podcast about that? (laughs) Now, did that happen at the time? Because we started doing this back in February of this year. I think this was before Future Chat. Yeah. Yeah. Back when this was just an idea in the back of my brain. And now it's real. It is. I have (laughs) tech savvy and all the capabilities of doing a podcast like this now. And uh, yeah. It's it's actually kind of interesting to me that, what, three days, four days after you get tech savvy is when this happens. But tech savvy being a company that's from Ontario and has just just (laughs) recently started branching out into the West... (laughs) Well, it sure as hell wasn't going to be on our TELUS service. No, which is a Western not. company that branched out east. <laughs> so, 
So this episode you wanted to call, you wanted it to be mainly about Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was also precipitated by you <laughs> because Toronto is the worst. <clears throat> well, Rob, I don't think it is the worst. However, I've noticed, and this is, you know, comedians will quote this. People will quote this in coffee shops, yada, yada, yada. But Toronto is the great unifier of Canada in that there is, I mean, I find a problem with a lot of Canadian things is this is Rick Mercer's words, but that, uh, you know, there's this in group and then there's the rest of Canada. And so I think there's a Toronto rest of Canada sort of dynamic at play. Yeah, there is I, like, it's what half our population centered in the GTA or something, uh, something ridiculous like that. A third, maybe the GTA or the golden horseshoe, maybe. But yeah. there are a lot of people centered around Toronto. For people like me that are ignorant, what's the Golden Horseshoe? Um, I think I know, but... Okay, so... I'm a little foggy on it myself. I just had it properly explained to me, I think. <laughs> well, obviously not. <laughs> but it's the area of uh, southern, southwestern Ontario that goes from about... Toronto, Oshawa, down and around Lake Ontario to, um, I want to say St. Catharines, but it's more like Hamilton and a little bit beyond. Okay. That's a pretty small area. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a small area, but there's that crescent that goes around the, uh, the lake and radiates outward. And that's another quote from someone, I think, but it's, you know, they envisioned a golden horseshoe radiating out from Lake Ontario. And I mean, this is the thing about Toronto, GTA, the megalopolis down that way. It's, um, it is a, pro a disproportionate producer of wealth. Right. So. I mean, you have a lot of people concentrated together in one comparatively very small area when you're talking about a place as big as Canada. And they're all making a lot of money because the cost of living is really high. So they're making a lot of money. They're spending a lot of money. And it generates a lot of wealth for the nation. So especially yeah. when I'm especially when I'm in places like Northern Ontario and they start complaining about complaining about Toronto, I'll say like you know, do you enjoy your standard of living? Because Torontonians are paying a disproportionate amount of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there are obviously good and bad sides to that standard of living specifically. Um, you could say that they're making a lot. And it, it's obviously in, in a lot of ways, the standard of living is high in a good way. But in a couple of ways, when you get that much of a population crunch, there are downsides to the higher standard as well. Oh yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's, I think it's the worst air pollution in all of Canada because of smog, nitrous oxide, and I'm pretty sure that's from the horrendous traffic, which is the worst in North America. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I don't know if I'd buy that. There are cities like Washington or LA that you just hear horror stories about, but it's possible that it's, yeah, it's, well, it's probably the worst in Canada for sure. I, I've heard it at least statistically compared to LA a lot in wow. 
in a city that is much smaller than Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and there, there are downsides like I'll grant that. And I remember you were talking about how you were allergic to Toronto. Yeah. I think, I think I was objectively allergic, like literally medically allergic, not just, I hate this city. And that was, that was what precipitated a rant. And then me going, okay, Rob, finally it's happening. East meets West, East meets West episode one, Toronto. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so my my Toronto allergy was first noted when I went down for a conference probably four years ago now, if not longer. Longer, But uh, yeah, the dust, in especially particularly in the, in the subway and just like walking on the streets, I needed, I, I couldn't even deal with antibiotics that are non-drowsy. I had to go for the first generation of antibiotics, the drowsy ones, to actually get some symptom relief. Hmm. Do you antihistamines? Yeah. Not antibiotics. You're that would right. be like Toronto is literally a bacterial infection. <laughs> I misspoke. I apologize. No worries. Um, is it reproducible? Have you been back? I've been back. It. I like obviously the the time of year is important because my allergies are seasonal, anyways. Uh, and that was my the, point. I'm pretty yeah, sure no, no. you wandered into your seasonal allergies. I went back at a time when I wasn't allergic here. I went to Toronto. I was allergic. Came back, wasn't allergic again. And then my allergies hit. And when I went to Toronto a second time, it wasn't nearly as bad. It was a different time of year. But it was still worse than here. Fair enough. But, um, I mean... Biologically speaking, Toronto's also a lot more lush than Eastern Ontario. It's a much wetter are we, place. There's, are we saying Toronto isn't Eastern Ontario? Yes, yes, we are. <laughs> All right. Um, no, like even when you're talking about the distinct regions of Ontario, Belleville's a little bit central where I was born and raised, but east of Belleville, like starting around Kingston, that is definitely Eastern Ontario. And then there's GTA, uh, southwestern Ontario, and northern Ontario, which you can break into northeast, northeast and north, northeast and northwest. You're having problems with your cardinal directions. That's really that's really it. Yeah, and one of us thought uh, 7:30 Mountain would be a great time for this podcast. What a yeah, jerk that, that person me. was. <laughs> I know. It's my own fault. I'm the architect of my own demise here. Past Rob and future Nick completely agree. Past Nick is the only one who wanted this time. Past Nick has always been a jerk, though. That's just how it works. Yeah, it's good that you can blame somebody else. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. But, uh, I mean, even I used to get really bad allergies in Ottawa and Belleville. And I think it's just something that's native to there. I think it's a lot of leaf mold. Okay. But actually the reason I figured that out was uh, that living in Ottawa, I had access to much better allergen reports because my allergies were always worst when uh, 
like when there was no pollen around. Okay. So it was finally in Ottawa that I started seeing that there were a lot of spores out when there was no pollen out. And I went, Oh, I suppose that's why. (laughs) But I mean, even my mom came down to Southwestern Ontario a lot last summer and we drove around a lot. And there were a couple times where you would just descend on one area of the province where something you were allergic to was flourishing. And just instantly you have allergies and you hop in the car and you drive a little way further and all of a sudden you're not allergic to anything anymore. Hmm. Yeah. That's weird. Most of Alberta, at least in my experience, is the same. You're not going to have that kind of regional disparity. I And that is one thing I like about Alberta. I just don't seem to have allergies here. Like I'll get sneezy sometimes, but that's it. Like I don't get reduced to this crippled mess who just is permanently with a runny nose and itchy eyes and a sore throat going like, don't worry guys. (laughs) It's just allergies. (laughs) Yeah. That that thing where you try to tell people you're not contagious is not fun for anybody. Yeah. No. And nobody believes you. No. (laughs) So, you had a question here. I do. Under the talking points. And what? who is the kind of person that likes Toronto? And <sighs> like you We're say... We're not talking you, about the Maple Leafs. You said, We're talking about the city. <laughs> well, it's widely speculated that the Toronto Maple Leafs do not, in fact, like the city for all the pressure that's in there. Yeah, I believe but, it. Um. Like you've said, you go for work or because your family is there, but does anybody voluntarily move to Toronto? And I'm here to tell you that yes, yes, they do. So who, who are these people? Uh, I am about to paint with very broad strokes. And I just (laughs) want to put that disclaimer out there. But like I lived in London for a year and there were people that really, really loved loved Toronto and it was a lot of I think a type personalities like the really competitive people like people that want to be the best of the best in their field often end up in Toronto just because that is the biggest deal in Canada and so if you're at the top of the top of your game you're likely to end up there unless it's politics. And then you'd wind up in Ottawa. Right. Or, you know, there are a few exceptions, but a lot of the top jobs are in Toronto. Um, and being from a small town, sometimes it's a lot of people that I just don't inherently understand. Like, (laughs) They shave both sides of their heads and go for a Macklemorean haircut. They have tight pants and sweater vests and very, very well-polished shoes, and I just don't get it. But they end up in Toronto. Hipsters, I suppose. So, I mean, obviously there there are things that you're going to get in Toronto that you don't get anywhere else. There's a very a flourishing art scene and the, like the business center of Canada – but a lot of cocaine. 
as Rob Ford has proven. <laughs> yeah, th- th- there are things that you will get that you'll only get there. But uh, f- for me, like I, I have literally turned down a job just because it was in Toronto because I had no interest in being there. I, to me, you really have to like one of those things. One of the things that it it is the o- one of the only places you can get it in Canada to actually go there. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I will say that I really like the 416. There's a lot of the 416 that I really enjoy. And the 416 is like the old Toronto, Toronto proper, before it amalgamated all the surrounding areas and they turned into the 905. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a case study in a living downtown. And I really like that about it. Like the people live and work downtown. So there's always something going on. There's a lot of stuff to do. You can easily walk or bike or take public transit between places. It's stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I see the appeal of that. I, I lived that way for a few years, downtown Ottawa. And even though the city technically doesn't really have that big of a nightlife, it was, it was good. There was stuff to do because you live downtown and you work downtown. Yeah. But it's so huge. I, I don't know. Ottawa is or? No, Toronto is. That Even the downtown part is gigantic. Yeah. But I mean, there's density across the whole thing. There is. And I'd also like yeah. to plug Allen Gardens just while I'm here. What I, are Allen Gardens? It is a, uh, it's a park of theirs. So I forget why I was there, but it was, it was one of those times where I'd gone to Toronto just to, you know, visit a couple friends and just go explore on my own. And I ended up going to Allen Gardens and just, I like plants. So I whipped through like 60 to a hundred photos just on my crappy old phone camera. Yeah. But it's a series of greenhouses in, you know, not really the thick of downtown, but pretty downtowny. Definitely the 416. And it's just, it's absolutely gorgeous. I highly encourage anyone to go see it because no matter what time of year it is, it's free to go. And there's so many plants and different things like that to see there. It's really Mm -hmm. nice. Occupied like an hour, an hour and a half of my time. And like having read about it online, people just will go there in the middle of winter to like see some greenery, just sit and read for a while. It's really nice. Have you been to the Devonian gardens in Calgary? Um, in core. Yeah. 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 I have. What did you think? uh, How does it compare? Oh, uh, comparatively speaking, Devonian Gardens is nothing. I mean, I like Devonian Gardens, but it, it's okay. It's a miniature version or is it a worse version? Uh, (laughs) there's not the biodiversity. There might be the same geographic footprint. Okay. But Allen Gardens is much nicer. I don't know. Toronto is full of hidden gems like that. And it's neat. Yeah. 
be hard to explore everything in Toronto. So, yeah, I mean, I'm frequently the devil's advocate of Toronto because there is good to Toronto. I find a lot of the people kind of baffling and it's, we spent a weekend in Chinatown once and I found that just way too busy and quite overwhelming, but there's a lot of good to it. It's not just this horrible anti rest of Canada place. And they also, it's a small place with very specific political views that the rest of the country doesn't necessarily agree with, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I never got the sense that the city was against the rest of Canada from within Toronto. That's just a sentiment that people outside Toronto have for it, I found. Yeah, yeah. No, that's completely ascribed to Toronto. Yeah. But then it's interesting because you don't, like, that love of Toronto seems to only extend to its city limits, and then outside of it you get the hate. Whereas the love for the Maple Leafs extends far beyond its city limits, even beyond the GTA. Even if beyond you, Canada. Leafs well, Nation is every nation, Rob. I mean, now you're just showing your colors, so... They are blue and white. Your, uh, yeah, your opinion's been invalidated. <laughs> I don't see why, Rob. All right. I mean, that's part of it. <laughs> I don't know. Do you want to talk about the Leafs? We could talk about the Leafs. I, I don't really have anything to say. You're welcome to to say things and I'll, I'll chip in my two cents, but I don't have any, I have no strong feelings towards or against the Leafs unless they're the only playoff team remaining. I don't like, um, the Leafs are, where are they? They're such that they're slightly closer to Belleville than the Kanata senators are. So it's definitely Leafs territory. Yep. And it's just, if you're born and raised in that part of Ontario, Rob, it's not a choice. It really isn't. That's fair. It's just, you are a Leafs fan or you're that con- contrarian jerk. <laughs> and you would never do anything to be called a jerk. Well, it was funny because I didn't even care about hockey until grade nine. And even then I kind of lost interest after the lockout but it was never a question of who I would cheer for. It was just always, well, I will either like the Maple Leafs or not hockey at all, except (laughs) I mean the Olympics, the Olympics are a different story. Sorry. I will like the Leafs or not like the NHL at all. Yeah, that's fair. Cause there's, there's like the world juniors is another uniter of Canadians in hockey. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you just, Team Canada is just a pleasure to watch whenever you're talking hockey. Yeah. Like that is there. the cream of the crop right there. <laughs> you know what I noticed this week? What or well, notice? not noticed, but what was on going around the internet this week? This hour is 22 minutes. It's been on for 22 years. That is 22 years. I haven't necessarily liked this hour is 22 minutes. Maybe that's something we can talk about because for me, and maybe this is just my family and not, not an East West thing, but 
we watched that. Well, I forget. Was it on every night or every or like every weeknight or every week? I think it's every week. It, I, I know it, it is Friday sure nights. now, but we like we watched it. My family watched it all the time during those glory years. Okay. And I'll we watched that in Royal Canadian Air Force every single every single episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. Air Force was really good. I remember really liking that. And there was a time I think when um I think Colin Mockery was on this hour's twenty two minutes. Yeah. For a while. I yeah. I huge fan of Colin Mockery, so I really liked that bit. I don't know. Like Sean Majumder's sweaty guy. I never really got into that character or what's her name? I think her name's like Marg and she has a warrior princess costume that she oh, tries to interview she was people. So in. funny though. I was, uh, and that, that bit the, where that, that bit where uh, the same actor ate a donut all in one go. It was just like, yeah. <laughs> why? But that was the best. Okay. She was like, that's, you can't fault that. That's, that's also, the original political satire in Canada. I also developed a sense of humor very late in life. So Obviously. Maybe that had something to do with it. Oh, that was so good. I think I, want, I don't want to get that wrong. That's why I'm not saying anything, but I believe that's Mary Walsh is both characters. That sounds about right. Um, oh, and the but, worry princess is Mark Delahunty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, it definitely well, is. They, they bring joy to a lot of people. And I'm very yeah. glad that they exist because they bring so much happiness to so many, but I am not one of those people. Yeah. And, and I mean, I don't watch it now. I know it's still on, but like you, you yelled at me a couple weeks ago for thinking that you had missed a Rick Mercer rant, but that's where those started was on this hour's 22 minutes. Oh, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I've been, well, I don't know. I've been a fan of Mercer himself for a long time. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're right, Rob. You're absolutely right. Thank you. Thank you for conceding that small, very completely small unqualified. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to, do you want to talk moving across the country? Uh, done it a couple times now. Yeah. I mean, you've um, done it for different reasons now. You've done it for temporary reasons, and now you're doing it for what I'm going to call for the purposes of this conversation permanent reasons. I, well, <laughs> I have no immediate plans of going back to Ontario. Right. I mean, I actually compared it, and as a trainee at my one job, like uh, SGS Lakefield, to be like, I got put on ICPMS operation and I think I started at like a contract rate of like 11 bucks an hour or something like that. And gradually made my way up to 1350 while still on contract. And then I move here and they're like, Oh, we need someone just a trainee to operate ICPMS. And the starting, the absolute starting salary is 18 bucks an hour. Yeah. And it's like, what the hell? Like flush with uh, sweet, sweet crude money. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I found that too, for sure. The, I mean, not so much it, it, the, the gap between Ontario and Alberta has narrowed significantly since I was in Alberta back in 2006 when I left, but it used to be 
a lot closer and almost Alberta was getting paid less, but it's, it's recently jumped and they've uh, switched now. Well, I don't know. Like during the, you know what I want to talk about? I want to talk about oil prices in here too. Yeah, we can do that because there was ridiculously a boom good right now. There was a boom around 2006 and Calgary was going insane. And like they were making national headlines where you could get like 20 bucks an hour plus three free pizzas a shift by working in a pizza shop. <laughs> yeah. And I always thought that was great too. Cause it was like, you just get a couple pizzas a shift. <laughs> like you could literally feed yourself and several others and make a bunch of money. Yeah. Um, I think the gap is narrowing a little bit now because like oil has fallen under, what is it? under $90 a barrel. Yeah. And so, yeah, everyone's going, uh-oh. <laughs> uh -oh. And, ah, oh, it's, it's interesting, the effect on the country, I think. It's like, Alberta's oil fields will suffer as a result, I think. And I'm not sure, I mean... Alberta in general is really focused on getting more pipelines to ship the oil out and bring in more money, but it's worth less and you're increasing the supply, which I feel like is going to drive the price down further to the detriment of, you know, the people operating it. Yeah. And apparently that's why the price is falling. Like OPEC, the organization of petroleum exporting countries and a bunch of people that, don't necessarily care for the United States, North America. Um, apparently they're driving the cost of oil down because I think it's Saudi Arabia actually, or I listened to a NPR's planet money on the topic of why gas is getting so cheap. And part of it is that Places like Saudi Arabia, like the places with a lot of oil, um, you know, back when they started cutting back and driving the prices upwards, pardon me, um, you know, they were just getting a premium price for their product and it was great, but they, uh, so, you know, smaller producing nations were happy because they only had so much oil. And they were getting a bunch of money for it. However, once you get to the current situation where like the tar sands really kicked up their operation and fracking has taken over so that to, to such an extent that now the United States is a net exporter of energy again rather than a net importer. And Saudi Arabia is like, you know what? We are strengthening our competition by making the price of energy high. So let's cut that down a bit and just cut our competition off at their knees, which right. is how a cartel works. Yep. And so I, I mean, believe that, I've heard, sorry, go ahead. It's, it's going to be great news for the manufacturing sector, which has suffered at the expense of uh, high energy prices. But I mean, energy producing places like Alberta are going to feel the hit. Yeah. What is, 
<clears throat> what does gas go for in Alberta right now? Oh man. It's like, I think the lowest I've seen is, I definitely remember seeing 98, nine. I also saw, I'm pretty sure I saw 97 something at one point. Yeah. It's strange to me that happens because we're at about 98, four last night I saw. You'd think it would be lower in Alberta. Um, I would there's think. actually, I looked that up. There's, there are two distinct regions of North America for gas prices. And I think the East is, it's some transatlantic rate because that's where most of the energy for the East comes from. Okay. But the West is based on like Texas refinery prices, prices, I think. And that's why, like, they want Keystone XL to get to Texas refineries because, I mean, refineries just aren't a nice thing to be around, apparently. No, I imagine. Yeah, They have some in southwestern Ontario. If you remember our dear friend Julie, she came from Petrolia. Petrolia. And I'm pretty sure there are refineries around Sarnia and just, it all smells like sulfur. Because oil. Yeah, I'm really glad that I've, I, I don't even think I've ever been to a city that smelled like sulfur or a region that smelled like sulfur. And I'm pretty glad for that. Sounds terrible. Well, I mean, the biblical description of hell is <laughs> fire and brimstone. And I'm pretty sure brimstone is sulfur. Yeah, brimstone, or at least it has a lot of sulfur in it, that that's what you're smelling. <laughs> yeah, so they, like, <laughs> it's easily comparable to how the Bible describes hell and why would yeah. you want that? <laughs> yeah. So moving across the country, you find yeah. out what's really important. I know I did. Um, my blue microphone. <laughs> that was one thing. Also fits easily in the pocket of your cargo shorts. If you are still wearing those. <laughs> I absolutely adore cargo shorts. Also cargo pants. Zip off cargo pants are like the pinnacle of efficiency and utility. And everyone hates them and I don't understand it because they're wonderful. Yeah. If in a utilitarian society, we would all be wearing zip off cargo pants. Oh yeah. If like, if we went straight up like Chinese communism where they had everyone wore like a blue jumper for a while, I would hope that our jumpers would be would include uh, blue zip-off cargo yeah. uh, design. Uh, people who I don't talk to anymore from high school will will verify that for a period when I was wearing those zip-off cargo pants, uh, at lunch, when we would go outside and play and I wanted to wear shorts, I would zip off the knees and I would just run around with the remaining pant material just on around my ankles getting all grass stained and everything. It was just so efficient, but so, so ugly. But I would take those and fold them up and put them in the cargo pocket. Oh yeah, that's good. But I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to do that. That was too much work. I was just going to let them, let them down. It was wonderful. Now that's interesting because I've always kind of in the, how I met your mother world. I've always compared you to Marshall. (laughs) Yeah. 
and he loves his cargo pants because he can show off his sexy, sexy calves to <laughs> Lily. Yes. That was, yeah. And so I'm imagining you wearing cargo pants, zipping them off in front of Julia. <laughs> and Julia just being like, oh my, Rob. She would, she would hate that for so many reasons. <laughs> yeah, definitely not utilitarian in that sense. That's unfortunate, Rob. I know. I I'm working also, on it. <laughs> yeah. I was, um, was going to say, in terms of what's important to me, last time I moved, I had my bike. But this time I was like, I don't know, we're heading into winter. Seems like a poor idea to just bring a bike right now for a bunch of time that I'm not going to use it. And turns out Calgary is semi-arid. And I could just bike all the time in the winter. So I need. You could. I was going to say, I need that shipped out and my beer brewing stuff shipped out. And then I will be comparatively very happy. Right. I mean, there are people, it's definitely easier to bike in Alberta than it is in Ontario in the winter because here it's incredibly wet all the time. (gasps) And it's a dry cold here. Yeah. I never fully appreciated that. Until moving from like uh, Ottawa to London to Calgary and experiencing those winters, oh, the dry cold is amazing. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I when I first heard the concept of a dry cold, I thought that was the stupidest thing I'd ever heard. And then I finally experienced a dry heat here, and a dry heat is just it's nice. Yeah, it's fine. It, it's warm and you don't get all sticky and gross. Yep. It's and the, the dry best. cold here is, it's surprisingly reasonable. Like I've been out just, I'll wear a sweater and my, what is in Ontario, my fall and spring jacket. And I'm good down to minus yeah. 20. It's amazing. We just recently hit the first really cold day. <laughs> Where you'd like you'd consider wearing a parka instead of your regular winter jacket? When, when is that to you? Uh, it normally has to do with the wind more than the overall temperature, but I would say there's about a 15 degree wind chill. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's. I get you. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I bought this winter coat that was actually really, it's really nice. It was only $140. And it consistently has been the warmest part of me even though it's not it's not incredibly warm like a parka would be mm-hmm. it like my my hands with winter gloves and my pants have been a lot colder so i'm pretty i'm pretty happy with that i didn't like it's not a canada goose down jacket that's like three or four hundred dollars it's but it'll it seems like it'll do its job it's good um when i right before i went to university and I was going to Ottawa. They told me, you know, Ottawa winters are cold. You're going to want a parka. And so I took my employee discount. And it was right at the end of the summer before I came. There was like, you could get 40% off one item or something like that. So mm-hmm. I took my employee discount while I still had it. And my 40% off special coupon or whatever and that is how i bought my parka (laughs) now for people who aren't familiar with you 
Is your parka the... I'm picturing the lumberjack jacket. Is that what you're referring to? No, no, I've never no. seen you wear a jacket that's bigger than that. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you have. Carolyn definitely has. Um, it's... I want to say it's Roots. Okay. It's a big black thing with a fur-lined um, hood. And so what does it take to get you into that jacket? Uh, <laughs> once you surpass about... If, if it's minus 25 with a wind chill, it's basically once the, uh, the wind chill or temperature, whatever, once the experienced temperature is about minus 30... Okay. Give or take a couple of degrees. That's when I busted out. Hmm. It's when you start running into the risk of, you know, exposed skin is going to freeze. That's when I busted out. Yeah. That makes sense. But no, the lumberjack jacket is, um, I've had two of them now, the plaid jackets. Yeah. Um, they both came from the hardware store, just down the street from my home in Belleville, <laughs> the TSC. You ask people about TSC and they're like the greatest thing ever. Actually on the back of the receipt, there's it's a, it's for tax purposes, but um, on the back of the receipt, there's a declaration that you plan on using the contents of this purchase for the business of farming. Because <laughs> you get you get like I don't know special tax rate or something like that um, on it, so that's it's incredible. just that declaration and a little space for your signature. Oh, that's so because good. so many, and that's that's I primarily what drives Belleville's economy. I'm convinced it's it's a convenient manufacturing spot because it's midway, but roughly in the center of Toronto, uh, Montreal, and Ottawa. But it's also just, it's sort of a middle of nowhere place in that there's a lot of nowhere and it's right in the middle of nowhere. So it's the economic hub of all that nowhere. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. And so there's a lot of farms around and they all come into Belleville's TSC to get their supplies. (laughs) It's good stuff. It's really great. It's a great store. They get a bunch of winter jackets there. (laughs) <laughs> also my adventure hat the wide brim one that yeah. came from tsc of course it did yep <laughs> apparently there are a lot of big-headed farmers yeah they'd have to be i don't yeah. really know what that means but i know i know i mean head, like so. i was gonna say literally their skull is big because i i have trouble finding hats yep and i saw that hat and i was like Oh, I really like the style. If it fits, I don't know what I'll do. And then it fit. And I went, I, I, I can't just drop 60 bucks on a whim. I need to go home and think about this for a bit. And so I walked five (laughs) minutes back home and was like, no, I have to get this hat. Walked five minutes back. And (laughs) we've been together ever since. (laughs) I can see now why it means so much to you. It's... It's the first wide wide brim hat I found on store shelves that actually fit. And now the brim is all stained with sweat and stuff like that. And yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure like I've I've worn it in the damp in forests because I keep getting like these red spots showing up on the very edge of the brim. 
Like yeah. it's kind of rusty red because I, I'm pretty sure it's the red cedar around Belleville. Okay. Like I've just kept striking the branches when they're wet and it leaves a mark. Right. And so it's dirty and sweat stained and getting gross, but I feel like that's a key feature in an adventure hat. Oh, absolutely. If it's clean, it's not, it hasn't you seen adventure. Yeah. You haven't had many adventures in it. <laughs> so when you came from, when you came the second time, the permanent time to Calgary, uh, did you did you have any stuff that was in Calgary already? Uh, no, I don't think so. Nothing because appreciable. For me, yeah, the biggest thing for me when I came is that the first time I showed up, it was literally get as many bags as you can, and I just carried as much as I could. I had like 100 pounds plus of luggage, and I was just everything yeah. that I could carry, that was all that I could take. Yeah. And that was, that was weird. Oh, um, yeah. You know what? The first couple times I came, um, or no, the first couple trips I took, I just looked at it and I was like, my luggage is just going to be overweight because that's all there is to it really. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure part of that was the fact that I brought my espresso machine. <laughs> which <laughs> You would, you'd have to. Well, things that are important to you. Um, yeah. <laughs> getting a good cup of coffee every day is important to me. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, I remember one like, of the more important things that I had was my pair of ice skates. And that ended up, that ended up being a really nice thing because obviously you start school in September. In December, uh, oh, no, actually, you know what? This is true, but for a different reason. Uh, this is actually worse. I but I decided that I wasn't going to bring skates and that I was going to buy skates here and then use them here. But then I ended up for the first few years when I when there was actually still incentive for me to go out and skate. I would every time I came every time I visited Calgary, I would bring my skates home and bring them back like they would take up almost half my luggage but I had to have them because that was a huge part of of winter in Canada is that he would go and skate. So every time I go home to Calgary, I would make sure to skate a few times there and then have to bring them back. Like it was except, except Vancouver and Victoria because yeah, I'm convinced when they get ice on the ground there, they like wander around. They're like, what is this? It's like that stuff that they put in drinks, but it's on the ground. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> It's like a slushy, but on the street. <laughs> where yeah. where did the rain go, and why is there this hard <laughs> substance? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, sorry, you were saying skates, winter. Yeah, the, that ended up being a huge importance to me, to the point that I, like, I wanted to set, to have my own way in Ontario. And so I didn't bring my old skates, which used to be my dad's. And I bought new, better, like modern hockey skates instead of mm -hmm. skates from the eighties. They were like neon green. Uh, beautiful. But it was really important to me to have them bringing them back and forth, even though like, like I said, that it's literally half my biggest suitcase was just skates. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if that's what you like, right? Yeah. It's actually kind of sad now. Like, the, when you were a kid, 
you go and skate. You go go walk five minutes to the nearest rink. You put on your skates. You skate for six hours. Come home. I don't know if you had this experience, but uh, like every weekend there that the ice was good. You'd spend at least four hours on it. And now I don't do that anymore. And it's kind of sad. Like the adult life has taken over and there's, there isn't four hours every week to <laughs> skate around. Well, on, I was getting to about four hours a week in London because almost every lunchtime they opened up the, the skating rink at the arena, just open to the public. Right. And we would just go skate around for like an hour at lunchtime. And then I broke my hip doing that, and I haven't skated since. Well, to be fair, you were recovering while skating ended for the year. But I imagine, like, I, I have only played basketball a handful of times, and I tore my ACL playing basketball, like, four years ago. So it's it's kind of the thing where you're you're not necessarily worried about it happening again, but it's just something you avoid out of... I don't the know. Possibility. I got, I've I've actually thought about going skating, and I have this like knee jerk aversion to it, and I'm like, yeah, it's it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I I actually I was dreaming last night about skating. It was odd, just you know, skating around, going like man, this isn't so hard. This is great. And then you wake up and you're like, yeah, that's funny brain. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Yeah. I want to go skating again because a life ruled by fear is no life at all. It's true. I think it was Rudyard Kipling that said that. Yeah, my skates are in Ontario. Yeah. I I think the uh the left skate is still laced like the laces are almost all the way removed from when I actually pulled the skate off. Well, I mean your foot's still in it, right? Cuz they had to amputate. <laughs> yeah, <No>. Rob. Oh, <laughs> well, that was uh, hell though. Yeah. Cuz you every I know now every time you like pull to get the skate off, like that takes the whole bone with it. Oh, thank you for that. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk about milk. (laughs) That's a segue, right? Bones, milk, calcium. That's yeah. I have heard so much about my bone density and how I need to drink more milk. Not from yeah. any doctors or medical professionals. No, but never. from like just people. No, yeah. I, I actually talked to a doctor because shortly after getting a clean bill of health, I was out on my bike and I crashed and like it hurt to breathe. So I was like, I should get this checked out. Um, the jury is still out on whether the, like they didn't tell me whether the ribs were cracked or just bruised or something because the treatment is just the same, which is. Okay. Yeah. Take it easy and have as much over the counter pain medication as you want. Interesting. Yep. But yeah, I, I went in cause I was like, I'm just, I don't know. Like I'm worried I have like brittle bones or something and I just am going to keep breaking them forever. And the guy was like, Oh no. Like if your bones were brittle, they really would have noticed when you broke your hip and 
they would have made sure to tell you. Yeah. Because apparently the nature of the break is different if your bones are brittle or something like that. Okay, yeah, that makes I mean, there, there'd be more, like, sharding or something. I don't know how yeah, much Yeah, I, I think that's it. But it was a good, clean break. So, hooray. <laughs> yeah. In the East, milk comes in bags. It does. And 1. that 1. is... 1.3333 liter bags, to be, to be precise. Yeah, because the sack of bags, the bag of three bags, is... <laughs> Four liters. Yeah. And the Toronto Star actually put out an article on why milk comes in bags. Because there was this YouTube sensation. Like this one YouTube video went viral. And it was it was someone from, I, uh, I want to say Southeast Asia, maybe. Mm-hmm. But they came to Canada and they said, yeah, so in Canada, milk comes in bags and here's how it works. And a bunch of people thought she was faking it because they were like, <laughs> now why on earth would milk come in bags? What a foolish idea. And so the star actually did some investigating as to wow. why milk is in bags, because it's it's only in bags in the eastern provinces, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Because when I tell people here that milk comes in bags back home, they just look at me like I have a third eye. Because same reaction, like, now why on earth would you put a liquid in a bag? How do you pour it? And it's like, well, you know, you get these little pitchers from the store. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and you just cut the end. But you have to be careful how you cut the corner of the bag, because otherwise it pours funny. And they're like, what on earth? So, what have you done? Uh, that leads me to a question before we get too far into this. Um, I always cut a, the other corner too, but smaller, so that there is a place for the air to go, so that I don't get any chugging action. It's just a nice smooth pour, but I think a lot of people don't do that. In the audio version of this, you can't see me confusedly staring at you. Okay, well, what's that's, your confusion? It's it's not a bad idea. It's not. It's just whenever I pour milk, like you don't. The thing is, it's it's a soft plastic bag, so you don't get any chugging action because the no, whole bag can action. just contract. How oh, are I you pouring your milk? You pour Albertan in the East. You just didn't grow up with it. You don't. You're not capable of dealing with the complexities. <laughs> <laughs> it's not complex. No, I've had I have had a the bag. If either if you don't cut the hole big enough, or if you don't cut the other corners, the other corner off, where the bag has actually fallen out of the jug because it like it sloshed <laughs> forward. <laughs> How aggressively are you pouring? I really wanted milk that day. <laughs> Clearly, no, I mean you're not going to get to experience this, but. People who have been cutting off one corner of their milk jug, like the spout, and then going ahead and pouring, cut the other corner just a tiny bit just so that air can escape, change your life. Trust no, because as I've seen a common practice in pouring milk, if the bag is really full, you hold the other corner. I hold the other corner too. Yep. It'll change your life. I promise. Okay. Well, it, it's not going to now because I can't get milk in bags because I'm in Alberta. <clears throat> and on that note, um, <laughs> it was uh, because everything is dictated by economics. It was at least partially due to economics. Um, 
the major shift occurred when we switched over to the metric system. And so suddenly they were going to start selling, um, uh, words. They're difficult. They're going to start selling milk in metric quantities. Okay. So, I mean, four liters is about a quart. I, th- or no, it's a gallon, gallon about a yeah. gallon roughly. Yeah. So they were just like, you know, we sell it in gallon quantities. So we're just going to convert over to liters. But in Eastern Canada, uh, it was, it was apparently pretty equal bags to the, uh, what do you call the bigger jugs? Yeah. I, I guess bags and jugs were just competing. <laughs> and so what ended up happening was it's much easier to just change where you're slicing the tube of plastic for a bag than it is to, yeah. then it's easier to do that than just re rejig a factory to make the, the jugs differently. Cause you have to right. change the whole mold to change the jug, change the jugs. Yeah. So, um, in Ontario, the bags had that early advantage, but also they used to recycle the jugs because you get a deposit when you take it back to max milk. Yeah. However, um, they used to just rinse them out and reuse them, but they found that I think the, Train the quote from the article is like people were just doing bizarre things with those milk jugs. Like, you know, someone would take <sighs> an, a, a used milk jug and then mix up the correct diesel fuel for the lawnmower and then store that in the milk jug and then be like, Oh, Hey, I can get 10 cents for this milk jug. And they would empty out the diesel fuel, take it back to max milk. The manufacturer rinses that out, does not get all the volatile contents out, nope. fills it with milk, recaps it. Customer takes it home and goes, why does my milk taste like gas? <laughs> and so uh. now they just, so they, they now shred the jugs and then recycle the plastic because you just can't trust people <laughs> apparently. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was another, but the reuse of the jugs was something that kept the jugs competitive with the bags. And then when they stopped being able to reuse the jugs, that just killed the jug in comparison to the bag in the East. I yeah. have no idea why you only find jugs in cartons in Alberta, but. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to go back because I'm very concerned that you don't, understand the benefits of cutting the second hole no i understand it's the same benefit as the vented can for molson cores products now right and it's it's a smooth pour, and it i imagine especially if you've cut a very small hole the first time it it allows for very precise yet fast pouring yeah oh it's wonderful i'm sure it is it's like shotgunning your milk (laughs) <laughs> honestly it's so good you. do you think Molson Coors introduced the vented can so that you could shotgun the can without actually like punching a hole in it I mean it, it'd be hard to actually shotgun it 
with that because if you tip it too far, it'll just come out the vent too. Oh, fair but, enough. Uh, <clears throat> I think they're one step away from just having a vent on the bottom of the can. <laughs> <laughs> you crack it open, you vent it. <laughs> this yep. is a pre-shotgunnable beer. <clears throat> so, uh, do you by any chance know anything about beer sales and the difference between them in Ontario versus Alberta? <laughs> Well, Rob, on my blog, Vodka and Equations, I've written about the subject to to the chagrin of many people. Of all the topics I have ever written about, and about, I, I mean, I'm not a prolific blogger, so I only have like 50, 60 posts. But of all the things I've ever written about, people are the most upset about that. Yeah. Like, there was a very, very angry Twitter conversation. I had one commenter who was firmly opposed to my stance and I believe they took it down as a hack job, except they don't really understand sharing on Google plus. So the comment wasn't public. Like I, I can't even see the comment, right. even though it's a comment on my blog. Yeah. I only saw like, the first blurb that it gives you when someone comments on sure. your blog. And so, yeah, <laughs> a lot of people were very upset and I think it has to do with the small C conservatism that is rampant in Ontario. I say rampant, like it's a bad thing, but there's a lot yeah. of small C conservatism, especially in rural Ontario, because one guy who was talking about it had authored a piece for the Barry examiner, which is rural Ontario. It's about as non-rural as rural gets, but details. Um, but yeah, people enjoy the status quo, but also it's worth pointing out, Nick, that people were also defending you on the internet. They or at were least one guy was there. There were several people who were in the argument on my behalf. Yeah. And there was very angry words exchanged and I was involved in none of them, <laughs> so, which was a new experience for me. Yeah. But, um, so I, I have also previously stated that I have strong and bewildering opin opinions on beer and things like that. Because since we have had beer for as long as we've had agriculture, I think that it should be the subject of the ultimate grandfather clause because, you know, we just, it's, it's not unlike the description of the city of London in the Magna Carta, the city of London within London, UK, because CGP Grey is amazing and you should all go watch his videos. <laughs> um, but the city of London is granted its status, not from like the monarchy or the will of the people, but from time immemorial. Right. Because nobody really remembers when it was set up. Like they know the Romans set it up, but they don't really know when it's just always been there sure. for as long as stuff has been in the British Isles or, you know, civilized civilization kind of cities, yeah. building with walls, et cetera. Right. Anyway. Wow. I just went off the rails. <laughs> so beer. Uh, in, in Ontario, beer sales are regulated through 
the Liquor Control Board of Ontario and the Liquor Licensing Board of Ontario. And they control almost all the distribution except for the beer store. Right. And the beer store is this pseudo-monopoly that was set up as a post-prohibition era project. So the, the majority stakeholders were equally uh, Molson and Labatt with a very small share to Sleeman. And they were, Ontario, they were breweries in Ontario, and it was called uh, Brewer's Retail. So they set up the distribution lines. They made sure that the prices were equal across all Ontario for the products. And it was by Ontarians for Ontarians. So it was by the Ontario breweries for the benefit of Ontarians. Yeah. But now... Um, like it's it's owned by Molson Coors International Conglomerate, InBev International Conglomerate, and Sapporo International Conglomerate, and conglomerate. So it's not really to the benefit of Ontarians anymore. It's just this weird monopoly that exists because of historical precedent. And now people are calling for the removal of it, but like that is just generating such a fury that they're like, well, maybe we'll just not get rid of it and we'll just skim some more off the top of the beer stores. Uh, profits Profit kind of, yeah. but they're, they're technically a nonprofit somehow. Didn't they? Yeah. They call them fees or something instead of profits. <laughs> yeah. So, and I mean, there's, there's like listing fees for the breweries, yeah. but it's not just, it's not just to sell a beer, a kind of beer. You have to pay a listing fee for each format you want to have the beer in. And that's just not like you pay twice, one for bottles, one for cans. No, it's like one for a six pack of bottles, one for a 12 pack of bottles, one for a case of bottles, one for a six pack of cans, one for a case of cans, one for a 12 pack of cans. And it becomes prohibitively expensive for the smaller brewers which are the, the, it's the craft brewers that are uh, really big economic drivers because, you know, small scale industry. Yeah. It's a good economic driver. And uh, yeah. Yeah. The LCBO is doing a better job of supporting craft brews. And if we're, I've recently learned this. If we're talking, like comparatively speaking, uh, British Columbia also has public liquor sales, and they're not privatized. And they have set it up such that seventy percent of their sales or their you know shelf space has to be British Columbian breweries. And you know they had Kokanee. And apparently for a long time, that was all you could get in British Columbia as a result. <laughs> but now there's, you know, the craft brewing movement is picking up steam, doing really well. And so now you're getting just a ton of British Columbian craft brews as a result. And Alberta is different. They've gone full private with some minor restrictions. 
But the benefit is you can get beer almost anywhere, comparatively speaking, at all hours. Yeah. It's great. It's, I mean, around here, I need to go check out the co-ops and the larger distributors, but it's a little pricey buying it from the Royal Liquor Merchants just around the corner, but uh, yeah. But it's also right around the corner. That's true, yeah. And, and it's open past nine. <laughs> and there are also no like extra sin taxes on beer here. So yeah. when they advertise it's five bucks for a pint, it is actually five bucks for a pint. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It's not, yeah, I mean, it seems like maybe this is just me being young and naive, but it seems like the tides are changing. I hope for, so. For Ontario. I don't know. I hope so. You know? I'm reading a lot in uh, sort of smaller scale uh, journalistic setups that uh, people don't like what's going on in Ontario. And so hopefully, like, I've again, I've also seen it in larger, uh, the what do you call them? Publications? News, yeah, publications, newspapers, magazines. The mainstream media? Yeah, mainstream-ish. People are talking about how... There are even old rules on the books about how unless you sell a certain amount of beer, you're not allowed to have more than one restaurant that sells your beer. And beyond Oh, the you were talking and, about that. That's causing problems yeah. for someone in Ottawa. Beyond the pale, yeah. They're not allowed to open. They have a one restaurant. They're not allowed to open a second one and also sell uh, alcohol at that location because they're not a big enough microbrewery. And it's just like that. It doesn't make any sense that that law exists. Yeah, no, that is. I I'm, I have no formal education in economics, but I've I don't know. I've been reading more about it. Mm -hmm. And from my cold read of that as someone who knows very little about it is that that is just a needless restriction on the economy of things. Yeah. Like you're, you should allow a small brewery to just scale up gradually as it needs to, as it, you know, provides a product or service that people want to pay for and drive the economy forward. But yeah, I don't get it. I don't know why it doesn't, it has never been explained to me properly why that's a thing. And that leads me to believe it is a thing for no reason, like for historical reasons that don't it, exist anymore. It is entirely historical precedent. And apparently there are also a lot of people that are just very satisfied with the status quo right. and don't really want to see a change. <laughs> change is great. Well, it change depends on really the best. It, it depends on the direction of the change. Like, yeah. if all of a sudden Ontario was like, no, we're actually going to restrict beer sales further. Yeah. I would. So progress is, is great. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it always makes me wonder because you, and that's sort of the devil's advocate way of saying things is that, to the people that are complaining about this, it's not progress. If we make these changes that we would like, you and I, other people might not like it, so it wouldn't be progress for them. Yeah. But but you also have to kind of do that every once in a while just to make sure that it's not just something that you're used to and that the alternative might actually be better, even if you don't think it is right now. Well, I mean, the uh, I guess the annotative definition of conservatism is 
wanting to move slowly because you don't know necessarily what you're getting into. Yeah. So, yeah. We're young, enthusiastic people and progress. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is there anything else you want to say on this, uh, on this or any other topic? Oh, there's a bunch of other Canadian stuff that we could talk about, but potentially we should have another episode. We probably should have another episode. This might be an inaugural episode. We're not sure. So far, we'll call it a pilot. How does that sound? Okay. That sounds good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I'm still looking on where this is going to end up, but uh, we can talk about that later. We can indeed. For the time like being, if you're, if you're listening to this, you've obviously found it, and uh, we will keep you posted <laughs> on where you can find it on a regular basis. I have some ideas, though. Good. Um, do you know anybody with a media empire? I do. Ooh. I would say, yeah, this is probably the first official show that's starting on Unwind Media. Oh, my. But the permanent home of Unwind Media is the problem. Not problem, but the <laughs> the thing that's waiting for a solution. And I have one in the works, but still trying to figure out exactly how it's going to work. So we've started within the umbrella of Unwind Media. Yeah. Which Good. is exciting. I, th- I like it. Unwindmedia.com would be the place that you could go to definitely find this. Like this episode, for instance, is going to be there. But... Uh, in terms of a permanent home, it might look different later than it does right now. Neat. Yeah. All right. So I think, uh, you know what? There are other things to talk about, but there are other times to talk about them. It is the 6th of December, 2014, 730 Mountain, 930 Eastern. And this is East Meets West. Wow, that is more difficult to say than I thought it would be. (laughs) Do you want to take that again? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I do, actually. (laughs) It is the 6th of December, 2014, and this is (laughs) (laughs) Eats. Once more, shall we say? As many times as you need. (laughs) 